Hey all, it's Monica and Taylor back for another episode. This week we have my good friend Ellie DeMiss on with us to talk about her experience changing jobs and negotiating salaries and overall just being a total badass and knowing her worth. And we have a lot of content. I don't want to waste any time. So let's dive right in. Welcome back to Imposter. We are super excited for today's episode because we have my good friend Ellie, who has joined us to talk all about knowing your worth and negotiating a better salary for yourself. I know I'm really excited uh, for this one. As someone who has never negotiated an offer that I've gotten, as someone who has just felt lucky to even be hired by a company it i'm always so scared to ruin the offer by asking for more, more money or seeming greedy or or seeming delusional like i'm asking for too much so i know this is something that i really personally need and that a lot of our listeners will find really illuminating absolutely and we actually spoke about this we touched on it briefly even with Lindsay last week when she pointed out that women are much less likely to negotiate their salaries. And Taylor, I totally resonate with what you just said about being so grateful even to be offered the opportunity that you're worried that anything else that you say or do or ask for, the company will reach out and be like, how dare you? We're taking this offer back, which has probably never happened. So who the heck knows how we even got that idea but it's so funny that both of us have that same sort of shyness around even on the days when we think we're the most awesome don't necessarily think that we're worth 10 percent more 20 percent more etc so Without further ado, I want to introduce our lovely guest, Ellie. And Ellie, can you just start out by telling us a little bit about your background, which I know is a little bit like my background, and we'll pick it up from there. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here on this podcast, seeing your beautiful faces in this unfortunate times. I mean, I haven't seen you guys since, I don't know, like last October or something for... For your birthday. Um, that was really fun. But yeah, anyways, thanks so much for having me. A little bit about my background. So I am another quote, non-traditional software engineer, meaning I have never taken a computer science class before, and somehow I'm still able to be a successful engineer. I did get into it through an academic background, but it was part of my research at UCLA. I was actually a chemistry major, in college. And then I went to a chemistry PhD program. And uh, I got started coding there as part of my research. And I actually really liked that aspect of the work. And the jobs weren't great for chemistry graduates, unfortunately. Um, it was like, literally unheard of for someone to like have a job lined up before graduation. And like, everyone I knew would just kind of float around and like maybe like teach or maybe get a postdoc and like somewhere random. And it just didn't seem like it was really going to have the career payoff that I was looking for. So I had been coding for my research for probably about about a year, a year and a half. And I decided to drop out uh, much to the... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you can guess my parents were not happy with that decision to drop out of a PhD program, especially one like UCLA. But I had done a bunch of research from there and uh, looked up boot camps. And I found this boot camp called Maker Square in Santa Monica. And it was starting in uh, 2016. And that is where I started doing like more web development coding. And that's where I met the lovely Monica. So we go back like uh, five years now or something like that, crazy. But uh, yeah, so since I graduated from the boot camp, I have had jobs at tiny startups where I was like the 18th person to join the company, all the way up to my current role, which is at Amazon, which I think over a million people work at Amazon. 
You know, what's so weird. I, I didn't know the beginning part of your story before your coding bootcamp, but we, we have a woman on our team that just joined our iOS team that the same exact thing. She was in a PhD for like a behavioral science program and then started coding kind of like on the job there. And then literally, yeah, left. Or I think she ended up getting her PhD, but then totally didn't do anything with it and went into coding. Like, it's funny how that career path is so common. Even for me, like kind of the pre-med, like that science-y piece, I think was resonant for a lot of us when we were younger. Like, we like science. I guess this is what we're going to do. And it's funny that we all kind of found that that coding was a part of that in one way or another. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I think it all comes down to problem solving. Like, because ultimately, if, I mean, I don't know, we're intellectual people, like we want to use our brain. And I think coding is a great path um, if you're like looking to have a job that is like mentally challenging and interesting and can be on any sort of domain, but it's not like fully like a doctor or something like that, which is a lot more investment. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's a great career path. If anyone is looking into it, I, I mean, couldn't recommend it enough. I think both Monica and I like look at you in awe as an example of someone who has been able to jump around from companies. You know, I've only done it once. Monica has been in Headspace forever. So it's like, <laughs> Which I mean, you know, there there are advantages to to both, but I think when we look at someone like you, we're like, wow, she has the courage to just go out on these interviews. She seems to always be ready for interviews and she's getting these insane offers. So um, I'm excited for you to share like kind of how your, I guess, how your negotiation chops have evolved over, um, you know, from your very first offer, like you said, at, at that small startup to now at Amazon. Um, have you gotten more confident? Like how has that looked? I think it's definitely, I've learned a lot. Let's put it that way. And I've made a lot of mistakes and I have done a lot of shit I regret and a lot of shit I'm proud of. So I, I feel like it's, I've, I've run the full gamut and I don't know if I've necessarily evolved my strategy because the negotiation strategy itself, like really, if you boil it down, like what is negotiation? Like a 10 minute phone call maybe, and like sending back and forth, maybe like three or four emails, like that's really it. And I think what has evolved is more like my philosophy on no negotiation and like the way that I handle like some of the thoughts that come up during negotiation. So what is your philosophy now versus what it was when you first had an inkling of wanting to negotiate your salary? I really think that there is not a one size fits all strategy. I know that pretty much like every like article I've read about negotiating in tech is like, <laughs> I don't know, they're just like crazy. It's like I had an offer from Lyft, an offer from Uber, an offer from Google, and I was playing them off each other. And it's like, how is that helpful? Why is that being marked as like the paragon of like how you should negotiate because I just don't think that strategy works for everyone, especially not women, especially not people undergoing imposter syndrome. And so I like to think of it in more of like a levels approach. What level of negotiation are you trying to do and being intentional about that? So I basically broken it down to like level like zero, one, two, three, where like zero is like zero, I want more statements. They say, we're going to offer you X amount. And you say, great, great, I'll accept it. I still think that that, that counts as a negotiation. It's just, you're not asking for anything more. And I think that that actually is totally a valid negotiation strategy. Um, sometimes it is enough. Sometimes it's fine to accept that. And I think that a lot of the unpleasant feelings that come up for women happen because they think that they must negotiate, that they must ask for more when maybe it's fine. And maybe you're like, you know what? I don't care. Like, I'm just going to take this job. Going up from there, it's like level one, two, three is like, how many I want more statements are you willing to say? Like, okay, they come back with 5% more. You say, no, I want 10% more. They come back with 7% more. You say, no, I want 10% more. And I'd say the final level is like level three, where it's at the point where you're like willing to walk away from the offer, 
which I personally have never (laughs) done. Like I've never been in a state where like, I would just outright say no to it. I think that uh, a lot of the advice that I've seen is like more geared towards people that aren't a minority in the tech field. It's more geared towards like white men that are like really confident and really like not dealing with imposter syndrome and stuff. And I don't think that the advice that's out there actually addresses what some of the handicaps women face actually are. What do you have an idea of in your mind, like what those main handicaps are? So there's only one handicap to anything ever that you do ever in your life. And that is your thoughts. The thoughts that you have about something are really what is holding you back and what's causing the like uncertainty and the unworthiness and all of that. I pretty much like hate my thoughts. Like, I'm just like, I wish I could turn them off. I like, you know, and you're like, why do I just shut up brain? Like, I don't want to listen to you. You ever tried meditation? You ever heard of that? What? No. If you guys know a good app, like, let me know. No, but you're so right. Like we're our worst critics and like our worst enemies all the time. The best advice that I've heard of that is like, talk to your talk, try to talk to yourself. Like if you're really trying to cultivate self-compassion, try to talk to yourself. Like you talk to your pet, like Monica talks to monkey or I talk to my cat, Larry. And it's like so ridiculous, but it helps kind of retrain your brain to like, oh my gosh. And then you realize like how horrible some of the things you say to yourself are. Uh, yeah, so just a little therapy plug there. It's so crazy, though, just how much your thoughts, it's a one-to-one correlation between like your thoughts and your moods. And I was listening to some other podcast talking about how, for example, like before we started recording, we were talking about our mild addiction to online shopping, especially within the last year, just because of the sort of like escapism it offers. But where am I escaping from? I'm not escaping from my apartment or my situation. I'm escaping from the shitty thoughts in my head that are making me feel bad. But imagine if we could just sort of, instead of, you know, filling up our shopping cart and hitting the buy button and just being on this sort of like endless hamster wheel of whatever the thing is, if instead we could just have a conversation with ourselves and check in and and slowly try to like retrain our mind to just think more positive thoughts so that we're not always looking for those distractions or those outs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that the unworthiness is a huge factor. I think um, also to take it kind of a little, um, primordial. For me, when I'm like negotiating or, you know, in a situation where I'm trying to get a new job or whatever, um, my brain, like, it's like, if you don't accept this offer, you're not going to get a job. If you don't have a job, you're not going to be able to support yourself. If you can't support yourself, you're going to live on the streets. If you live on the streets, you're going to die. And I really feel like that deep survival instinct. It's kind of like the fight or flight response coming up when it's like, maybe that's not appropriate at this time. Like I'm probably not going to die if I don't take this job offer, but like our brains are always trying to protect us and like, just keep us safe and keep us secure. And I know for me, that's one of the main like thoughts that comes up and things that drives me to like not negotiate as much as I want to. I don't know what, what comes up for you guys when you try to negotiate or think about that. I think something I've started to do is just like, uh, pretend that I'm a white man. Okay. Let me put myself in the shoes of a white man who thinks they're entitled to everything. Like would never second guess, like what would that person do? Because that's what everyone else is doing. Who's getting these offers, you know? And you do it in a way that's polite. You're not going to go in and give a crazy number but like you were saying, Ellie, like some, some women feel like they need to negotiate. And I think we kind of, there is that pressure now because I think we've like learned over time that we really aren't and we're screwing ourselves over by entering jobs at such a low, you know, like at lower levels where we really can't make that up over time. So, I mean, I'm saying this having never done this, but I've done this in my current role, like in terms of um, negotiating up salary and getting getting promoted, I've had a lot more confidence and success doing that. I feel like in the role that I'm in, because I know those people, 
you know, my manager and everyone I work with knows my worth. And so I feel like I have more, like a little more leeway to, to be more bold, but I think just, yeah, thinking like if you had nothing to lose, like how would, how would you act? And I think that that kind of helps. I, I wonder, Ellie, if you, have you, I know Monica and I have experience with our, our promotions and, and stuff. Have you had experience, um, you know, aside from negotiating like new offers in your offers in your current role or like your, you know, when you're at a company, like asking for more money? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I definitely have, I've never had it work, (laughs) but, um, I still think that that is definitely absolutely like a valuable skill to at least try. And if someone, you know, if you're out there listening and you're not comfortable with like the initial negotiation, maybe try this as a stepping stone because that takes away a lot of the insecurity of like the, you know, am I going to be destitute if I don't do this? Cause it's less likely. Yeah. So the way that I went about that was you always want to have a very like data driven mindset. And I think that is ultimately what's going to make you the most successful in negotiation. However, getting to the data driven mindset, like you're not going to go from like having imposter syndrome to being fully data-driven like overnight. And we can talk about like maybe what some of the more intermediate steps would be. As far as that goes, I mean, it sounds simple, but it kind of is. It's pretty much going on the internet, Glassdoor, Levels.FYI, the H1B database, uh, looking up your company, figuring out for your role, your title in that city, what's the average. And then I think I asked for like 5% more. The H1B database is crazy. I didn't know what that was. And someone at our company encouraged me to look at that when I was trying to negotiate up. And you can literally look at your company and what people at your company in your role with your title are making. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think data is always going to be your friend. Um, that's a big component. And so to me, I view data as like a piece of leverage. Like if you are negotiating, like it's all about leverage and data is a really important aspect. So like if you are negotiating, like before you go to your final interview, like figure out what the salary range is. Um, because once you get the offer, like, you're going to be flooded with like emotions and excitement and whatever. And it's going to be harder to like have that mindset. Some other, I think leverage points are um, never say a number first. Like that is really hard because recruiters are super sneaky about being like, Oh, well, like, have you thought about like your range? And you know, they try to kind of like worm it in. Um, But if you at any point say to a recruiter, like, I would accept 150,000. Like that's the number that you're going to get. And you're not going to be able to get more. Even if you find out that someone else is making 175 at that company, like you're kind of stuck. So keeping, keeping like an open mindset and keeping it um, like being a little like secretive about your desires is another huge piece of leverage. That would also go for like, not disclosing your previous salary too, right? Because I've been asked that. You have? That's illegal. That's, That's illegal for sure. Illegal now. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it was in yeah. like 2016. I think, yeah, I think that's illegal now, like recently. Um, yeah, I don't know when that became illegal, but I've definitely been asked that. So what do you do when they're like, what What range are you looking for? I'd say um, if your company, if you have a range budgeted for this, position, I'd be open to hearing it. Ooh, nice. Slick. Yeah. And then if they keep pressing it, say, I still feel like I need more information before I can figure out how much I would need to get paid for this or. You're basically just deflecting. You're just not, you're not answering their question. Yeah. And it's awkward. I mean, it's awkward and it's really uncomfortable and it's like, it would just be easier if I just told them. I think that comes down to, um, you know, being comfortable with uncomfortableness is, is part of it. And I think knowing that it's going to be awkward, it's going to be um, really uncomfortable, like all of these stuff is, is going to come up and it's normal. And I think remembering that is super important. 
it's that like people pleaser kind of quality that a lot of women have where you want to make everyone comfortable. You don't want to make people upset. So you just kind of go along with whatever. And you're the one that takes the heat, but yeah, put yourself in that like white man's shoes of like, you can, you can stay awkwardly silent. Like that's fine. You're it's not your job to make the recruiter have a great time on your interview. <laughs> you know. I think the only white man I would recommend emulating is Jonathan Van Ness. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not talking about like Chad McBrickjaw, like more, you know? more like Chad McBrickjaw is like, um, <laughs> Like what he thinks about himself, like go in with the confidence, not how he would actually act. Yeah. Like his like level of self-esteem, but not his blatant lack of self-awareness. Like valuable, deserving, um, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, for me, the word that I always want to have, like that describes how I feel about negotiations is fierce. Like that's how I want to feel during negotiations is fierce I want to feel worthy. I'd say maybe not entitled because entitled has, I don't love the connotation with that because then that's to me, that has a little bit of like stomping on other people to it. So I try to think about being like worthy. And I think, I mean, (laughs) we're kind of like riffing on in here, but it is, if you are negotiating, like think about this beforehand, like think about like, how do I want to feel during this process and write it down. And then when the, you know, the fear and the anxiety and all that stuff comes up, like you can refer back to, okay, I'm, I chose that. I want to feel fierce. Like I'm going to feel fierce when I'm feeling fierce. I'm feeling worthy. I know that I'm worth it. Like I'm not going to give in to, you know, the impulse to just like roll over and accept. So yeah, that's another tip I would have is to be really intentional about what kind of mindset you want to have before you start negotiating. Like when you start looking for a job is when you should like start thinking about this too. Cause I think that's a really important part of the job process that it's not on the, it's not on the blogs as much. And so can you tell us Ellie, about a time uh, in or a negotiation recently that you've had that like you felt fierce during, like like that you were successful during, and you, you know, you really like look back and say, yeah, I did it. I I, did, I left all my cards on the table and I got what I wanted. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's not going to be what you expect though. A negotiation that I feel really good about is actually one where I literally just accepted their first offer. And that was um, my first job out of the boot camp. It was at Dollar Shave Club. I think that that went really well. Um, I think that the recruiter was initially very open with me. He was like, um, for this role, we have a salary range between 100 and 120. Is that something you could work with? And I was like, I think we could work with that. <laughs> not Not disclosing the fact that I was prior to that, making $28,000 a year. So that would have been a four times <laughs> increase in my salary. Uh, I think we all dealt with that from our jobs pre bootcamp yeah. to our jobs after. So we were just like, uh, yeah, I can, yeah. I can work with that. Uh, let me see. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, after the interview and I got the offer, he was like, okay, well, we'll be offering you um, 120 and blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm pretty sure I like had to mute the phone and like screamed or something. And um, yeah. And honestly, like I just accepted it. Like at that point, like he had told me the range, like really like what leverage did I have? Like I'm a bootcamp grad. I've been unemployed for four months. Like my first job, like I don't really have much leverage here. I mean, I was going to be the first woman on the team. And that's a huge piece of leverage that I think every woman should be capitalizing on. Yeah. I just accepted it. And honestly, like that, I am so much more proud of that than I am about like negotiations I've had later in my career where I have done the, like playing two companies off of each other thing. And, and I think it just, it really comes down to how I was feeling at the time. Like at that time, I was really proud of that number and I don't, regret not asking for more. And I don't think that I should have, like, I don't know. It's, it wouldn't have made me happier. Well, yeah. And he gave you the range and you got the top of the range. So in your head, like, you're like, 
where, where do we go from here? And it, and if it truly felt like a good number to you, which it did, there's no reason to, to push it just to push it. Yeah. And that's, and that's why I want to say like the quote, always negotiate advice. I don't, I don't believe it. Like I don't buy into it. And I don't think that that serves most people. I mean, I think I still could have gone over the, the range. Like, honestly, like if a recruiter gives you a range, like ain't nothing set in stone. If they are, if they are offering you the top, like, I don't know, why not? Why not ask for more? Like, but that definitely is, is going to be a harder battle when they are already telling you the range. So, and so why compared to your more recent experience, like why did that one feel? Cause it seems like from what I know about the recent experience, which you can talk about, like you were like a badass during that pitting two companies against each other. So I'm just wondering, you know, why that didn't elicit the same feelings of pride that the first one did. I was looking to leave my previous job, which was a small startup. And I wanted to try one of the, one of the big companies, one of the big guns. And so I was like looking into like Facebook and Google and all the Fang companies. Um, and uh, preparing for those interviews could be a whole nother, like <laughs> I could be a whole nother podcast. Yeah. I was honestly desperate to get out of my current job. And so I was like really negotiating from a place of desperation, to be honest. Like, you know, I had an offer from Hulu and an offer from Amazon and they were actually for like literally like the exact same team and the exact same role and the exact same language and all this stuff. Hulu's offer was for like, you know, like 50,000 or 60,000 more but I like the team at Amazon a lot better. I ended up accepting the Amazon offer, but it was really quite stressful because, you know, really desperate to get out of my job. And also when you're interviewing a lot, like you have to be kind of shady and like go to the doctor and go to the dentist a lot. And, oh, I have to work from home today. And and that was really wearing me down um, because I already felt like, I don't know, just some like hostility about that and kind of like a butts and seats culture that that sort of stuff is harder to pull off. So I was like really nervous about that. And, uh, and so when I had these two companies, the Hulu company was like, they kept like increasing the amount and I was trying to work things out with Amazon because Amazon was having difficulty matching and they had to like get like <laughs> literally like VP of finance approval. And you can imagine that takes a long time at a company like as big as Amazon. So I was like waiting for the Amazon stuff to go through. Meanwhile, Hulu's like, here, we'll give you another 10,000 in salary here. I want you to talk to this person, like blah, blah, blah. And they were like keeping it on. I'm like, no, like stop offering me money. Like you're making it harder. Like, which I mean is the point, right? Because I had already made my decision like career-wise, I, I wanted to go to Amazon. Eventually Amazon came through with their offer and, you know, and I had asked for like a certain, like we had, me and the recruiter had agreed of like, okay, it's going to be X number. And then offer that they came back with was like 6,000 less. And it was kind of like, okay, well, it's already been like weeks now. Like, I'm just going to sign it. And I ended up getting like, not the title that I wanted and a little bit less money. And although I did a lot of the back and forth, like it was not done from a healthy place. It was done from desperation and like wanting to kind of get it over with and not have to deal with the pressure anymore. And uh, even though that's like technically the you know highest amount I've ever been paid, like I still feel like because I was coming at it from a negative place, it really, um, I still have a lot of like regrets about how that went down and regrets about you know, just how I handled it. And I don't know, I felt like I really kind of learned, a, learned a hard lesson with that one. It's you keep saying that you were desperate, but it's so interesting to me because clearly you weren't desperate. You had two 
awesome companies like vying for your love. So and giving you a lot of money, I guess what you're saying is like, you were so desperate to get out that you couldn't really play like the waiting game around as much. Do you feel like, is the regret coming from feeling like you accepted an offer that was less than what you thought you were worth or like, where's that coming from? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I think the desperation, like it's not logical. Like there's no logical explanation that I had <laughs> for feeling desperate. I mean, well, yeah, we, we all know the feeling of like wanting to get the F out. Like y- you felt like you, uh, accepted something that was not, that was below what you were worth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it was. it was a I trade-off, made, right? Like, I made a trade-off as I wanted to like I thought that there was going to be more career opportunities, career growth at Amazon. And so I made the trade-off of taking less money and taking a lower title. I think if I had negotiated from a stronger place, like I might have been more forceful about asking for the title, about asking for more money. You know, at this point, this whole back and forth had been going on for like two weeks or something. And I was like massively burnt out from my current job. And I was massively burnt out from like studying all the like data structures and algorithm bullshit that Amazon asks about. And so it was like, if you're interviewing from a place of burnout, a place of desperation, like you're gonna end up with regrets. So if you could, because obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty. if you could go back, would you have started your interview process earlier? Like looking back, are there certain kind of red or orange flags in your previous role that you didn't address or that didn't really bother you until it was too late? That's really a tough one. Um, I feel like I have a problem with the grass is always greener and I have a problem with honeymoon phase. Same. (laughs) And uh, all aspects of my life, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. I I love the honeymoon phase. (laughs) I wish I could just live in the honeymoon phase forever with every like, you know, product I buy, relationships, like, but it's not sustainable. Uh, I think the extreme cases are bro culture. Honestly, I think that can be a big reason to leave. It's like, if you are a woman experiencing that in tech, like you have to make a choice of if you want to address it or not. And if you choose not to, like, that's totally fine. And I think that's a very valid reason to leave. Yeah. Like what are some examples? Cause th- that was a big thing that made me leave my first company too. It was like just having, I had a new guy come in that was like mansplaining everything to me. And I had been there for two years and he would literally interrupt me in meetings and be like, what Taylor meant was, and I was like, what the fuck? What do you mean? What, what do you mean? What I mean? I said what I mean. So anyway, like what are, what are some of those examples? Cause I, I feel the exact same way. Sometimes it's just not worth it, especially if you're, you know, yeah. you're over it. You're over the, com- you're not like at your dream company that that would make it a lot harder. Um, yeah, I think one really common example I see, and um, this doesn't apply during COVID, but is like the alcohol culture. There have been previous companies where it's like, if I had been the one going out to happy hour and getting like shwasted with everyone on a Tuesday, like people probably wouldn't have had as much of a quote problem with me. The alcohol culture can be one thing. I think also just like, I don't know if I want to call this bro culture, but it could be an indicator is like cowboy coding. Do you guys know what that is? I don't please go on. It's kind of just like, like a throw it to the winds style of coding where you just kind of like, whip some shit together really quick, really fast and get it out there. And like, it breaks a bunch of shit, but then you're like, you know, you're not around cause you're at burning man. And like, <laughs> you know, like, I think that is a huge manifestation of, of bro culture in the actual work. Like that's a very like bro way of coding of just like slapping it together, like not worrying about readability, Worrying, not like taking feedback well, like all of that kind of stuff. I mean, that because I mean, that's your day to day, right? It's like writing code. I think like that can really wear you down. But that seems like a huge process issue, too. You know, if that if that sort of behavior is accepted and even potentially the norm, then yes, that person 
obviously is responsible, but so is the overall end organization for not having checks and gates in place that makes it literally impossible to write code that's going to break that much in production. Hearing you say some of these things, like we've had it kind of easy, or at least I have, you know, I've had definitely like annoyances, but none of that alcohol culture, none of, I mean, a little bit, like there was a beer fridge at, um, my first company. And it was like, people would get beers at 3 PM, like while they were still working. And I was like, why? But it wasn't, there wasn't like a whole peer pressure aspect, but totally like the happy hours. That's where you, you feel like you have to bond with these people that you really don't have that much in common with. So sometimes that's the like easiest way to get on their good side is like, Oh yeah, like let's go drink. Haha beers. Yeah. Like I like beer too. (laughs) And you are one of the guys, but no, I think we have the opposite, um, on the quality gates, we have such high quality bars where we've actually tried to do more, like more cowboy coding to test features quickly. Like not, you know, not because we're like throwing caution to to the wind. It's really just to actually get data faster. And we've had pushback from a lot of the men that are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we have these quality gates, like be careful. So, so, uh, I think Monica and I are lucky, um, that we don't have that stuff, but to kind of bring it back to, you know, negotiating your worth. Like, so you took an offer at Amazon that you feel may not be totally reflective of your, your worth. Since you've been there, have you, have you negotiated, have you um, asked for promotions or like, what has that looked like? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was recently promoted at the beginning of the year to what I felt was the level I should have been brought in at. Yeah. I think, uh, the the Amazon promotion process is such a thing that like it's it's indescribable like it's like um the way that that works is you have to prepare like a promotion packet that's like eight pages long and like describe all of the work that you've done and it all has to be written in like the Amazonian way, which is like super data driven, super like clean and clear. And like, if you have the word really in there, it's gonna get like <laughs> docked and all this stuff. So um, yeah, I, I felt like I um, was able to ultimately like get to a better place, but you know, in some ways I feel like um, a little bit held back like that and a little bit like I'm, I'm a few steps behind and you know, being a woman, you're already a few steps behind. So I don't, I don't regret taking the job. Definitely not. Like, I think it's been good. It's been a good fit, but I I do regret, you know, negotiating from such a desperate and burnout place. And if I could go back, I would have just quit and not had a job and focus solely on interviewing and focus solely on, you know, negotiating and figuring out what I really want. And I think uh, negotiating from a place of burnout and interviewing from a place of burnout, it's just, it's already hard enough. So don't do that to yourself. And I have, I mean, obviously, like if I'm the kind of person that thinks if I don't take a job, I'm going to die, like quitting a job without anything else lined up. Like (laughs) that is hardcore. I mean, the boot camp that we did, you know, like, okay, like that's a boot camp. Like I'm in school. So, you know, it's sort of like, I still felt like I had something to go to, but making that step of just quitting, I'm not there yet (laughs) emotionally. Ellie, you keep saying like, don't interview from a place of burnout, but I feel like that's when you want to leave a job, it's because like you're burnt out and like that's the time you're interviewing. But I wonder if you, either of you have experience interviewing when you're like happy at a job, like, but you're kind of interested in hearing more. So you're not, it's not a place of like, you have nothing to lose by taking the interviews and gaining that experience. I don't know if you guys have experience doing that. I think that's a definitely a good skill to practice. I think it's a good, you know, way to one, get a better sense of the market Two, I think it can help, help you get perspective on your current role of just sometimes knowing that something else is out there and, you know, and there will be something else when you're ready, I think can be really important. For me personally, I struggle with it because uh, I get so excited when I see a new company and like talk to a new person. I'm like, oh my God, this seems so cool and perfect. And like, yay, honeymoon phase. And uh, you're like, great. Now I don't have to do all those tickets that I have. Like (laughs) do that. You just start imagining a clean slate. Yeah. 
So, you know, I think that's the downside is that it can sort of skew your perception. But um, yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. And I think um, even if you're not like fully at the like fuck it phase with your job, like it's a good sort of insurance policy, if you will. And you like make connections too with, you know, hiring managers, recruiters, and then you have those in your back pocket for when you're really desperate. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> although I don't know, recruiters are so thirsty these days. It's not that hard. So. <laughs> it's so true. It's literally every day. Like, Hey, yeah. hey just wanted to see if you got my email. Just wanted to check back. I'm like, I see it. <laughs> yeah. What's up with, has it been worse lately for you guys? Yes. I, yes. I think it's like the Q1. Yes. It's the Q1 push. Mm. Everyone's, everyone's got big goals in the new year. Yeah. Big hiring goals. Yeah. It's been, I got one. I got one the other day that was like, I'm, I meant to tell both of you this because I thought you'd both equally find it funny, but I got an email. I forget what the company was, but he was trying to hype it up. He was like, we're working with like the latest and greatest technologies, Ruby on Rails and Ember. <laughs> what the heck? Also, did you even look at your profile? Like, huh? I mean, but not even that, but like... <laughs> Who told you those were the latest and greatest technologies? He must be using that same template. Yeah, he's been using that template for a couple of years. I had one uh, call me, which is like really creepy. That's happened to me too. Those are it's so invasive. Actually, it happened to me from Amazon. (laughs) Yeah, no, it happened to me from Amazon. It was like, hey Taylor, it's uh, Chris from Amazon. I was like, huh? who <laughs> and sometimes it'll show like if they've emailed you before it'll show maybe chris and i'm like oh I, then i'm like oh i know that person and then i answer and it's like oh wait what how did you just bamboozle me into this call yeah i'm i'm not a fan of the call it's so weird and then it's like well how did you get my number is there some like old version of my resume floating around on the internet that you've eh, i don't know yeah um i think it might be at least my resume i think think is attached to my LinkedIn, which definitely has my phone number on it. You're asking for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where were we? Any final thoughts on negotiation, Allie, that any parting gifts, Mm. any parting pearls of wisdom? (laughs) Yeah, I think um, my final piece of wisdom is um, to get a team Obviously, if, you know, the software engineering salaries are fairly high, I mean, I'd imagine a junior engineer, you'd be looking at like hundred grand, like why not hire a negotiation coach to help that even if they cost $2,000, like they might get you $15,000 more. So I think hire as many people as you can to help you with it. Um, If you have a friend, especially if it's like a dude that's like, can be very, you know, cut and dry and non-emotional about it. Like find, find people like that and get them to help you. Um, you know, I have a life coach, I have a therapist, like I have all of these like, like support staff. And I think even, you know, it's good. It's good to ask friends, like ask your friends, but I think it's better to have, you know, professional support of people that like are seasoned and experienced and can guide you. Um, there's some website. Oh yeah. Levels FYI. They offer a salary negotiation service and I think it's like 400 bucks. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Okay. 400 bucks seems like a lot if it's, you know, a piece of jewelry, but, or I don't know, maybe not jewelry, but, um, uh, <laughs> cause that can go way more. But uh, yeah, I mean, if that, if they help you get like 5,000 more dollars, like do it. I really think just, you know, be really intentional about what state you want to approach it from. Don't feel like you have to negotiate. Don't feel like it's, you know, you're doing a disservice to women everywhere if you don't negotiate. But I would, I mean, I would err on the side of yes, negotiate. Like I'm not saying don't negotiate, but I think that uh, you have to figure out really what's right for you and make sure that you're doing it from a place of confidence and all of that. I think, uh, you know, you can have six, like a successful negotiation can look like 
literally anything. And I don't want anyone to feel like boxed into like, because I didn't do blah, 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 blah. I failed. Like success is really subjective. And if you feel successful, then you've succeeded. What a fabulous note to end on. That was just, oh, way to just tie it up with a pretty little bow. I do, I do want to get uh, an imposter versus all-star moment out of all of us. I got my all-star moment. I, one of the things that's most challenging for me is like writing technical documentation, trying to like convey my thoughts, especially in writing um, for new projects or like features that involve a lot of people. And I just kind of one day like threw a bunch of thoughts on a page, organized it and um, got a lot of like positive feedback from it, from the team and like a lot of shout outs about just how helpful it was to get everyone to convene on this one idea. So that definitely made me feel good. Um, and like, I, you know, am capable of writing that kind of documentation going forward. Okay. My imposter moment is (laughs) I'm teaching, um, middle school girls from the school that I went to when I was in middle school, um, about app development and I'm having them like build their own apps, but we're using a program that you don't actually like use to build apps. It's like block coding, like drag and drop things. And, I'm like trying to figure out how to make apps and like, I can't do it in this program. And this program is for children learning how to make apps. And I'm just like trying to explain it to them today. Like, Hey guys, is that like, does, is anyone with me? Like their, their eyes are like down looking at their phones. Probably it's all on zoom. And I'm just like, is this making sense at all? Do I even know what I'm talking about? Like, Oh my gosh. Teaching gives me such imposter syndrome. but um, I figured it out. I think it went okay, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they're taking anything away from it. Uh, Hopefully none of their parents are listening. No, I I think they, I think it's good, but like if nothing else, they see a nice female role model in, in software engineering that they can hope to emulate someday. But so that gives me a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, I, I can say my imposter moment. I think basically all my imposter moments kind of stem from, uh, my perfectionism streak. And um, my imposter moment was uh, giving feedback on code reviews. I definitely feel like I gave someone some feedback and I didn't provide enough context. And then I was like beating myself up about it all day and like obsessing over how I could have said it and how I should have said it and all this stuff. And then, you know, the next day I just went and gave the person more context and like, it was fine. But I really feel like in that moment, for whatever reason, just because I got one piece of feedback wrong. Like I was like such a fuck up and like, you know, just let it like ruin my night basically when looking back, it's like, well, okay, that maybe wasn't that big of a deal. (laughs) I think uh, my all-star moment is um, kind of taking a step back and looking at this like really big project that I've been working on and thinking about all the work that's gone into it. And um, the projects, I mean, it's, not completely done yet, but it's at the point now where I can actually like see the big scope of everything and it's kind of working. And so for me, my all-star moment is just seeing it all come together and seeing everything come together and kind of work. And yeah, so it's just been, it's felt rewarding to uh, finally be at a point where I feel like things are progressing really well and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. My imposter moment was being put on a new project recently that's super fast paced. Haven't even started doing anything yet, but I can already sort of feel my anxiety and sort of self doubt taking over just because I'm really because it's entering the unknown. Like, what are we going to build? Am I going to be able to build it? What if I let everyone down? What if I break everything? And then my all-star moment, Taylor, is actually very similar to you because I did uh, a text back last week as well, which I was (laughs) just like dreading writing because it was looking at documentation and looking at uh, API services and looking at reading other people's previous text backs to gain more insight one and i just sort of chipped away at it and then and i was feeling like bad and annoyed about it the whole time because i would rather be actually like building a feature fixing a bug 
um, as opposed to doing the preliminary investigation. But then once it actually got to Thursday and I scrolled down through the doc, I was like, holy crap, I wrote a lot of I wrote a lot of good stuff and I managed to fill out all we have a, a template. So I actually was like, oh, I managed to fill out like 90% of this template. And I also got good um, feedback on that as well, which always makes me feel better because I, maybe because like you were saying earlier, Taylor, I've also been in this situation where people have felt the need to talk over and explain, try to explain what I'm trying to explain, which leaves me feeling like, am I not communicating correctly do i know what i'm saying so that was good that was a a tip for that is never never say something and then ask does that make sense it's funny because i i say that i feel like it's at less than weirdly less than of an imposter thing and more because it's a sales tactic that i learned in my first job to keep to get people them to in, yeah to keep people engaged and it and it just unfortunately like has stuck with me And I think with that, that is a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me. I definitely got a ton of insight into uh, that always kind of makes me a little bit squeamish, um, if I'm being honest. So thank you for being candid and sharing your story and all of the uh, pro tips that you dispelled. Thanks so much, Ellie. I know I really needed this and I learned so much from you. Um, and I can't wait to feel fierce in my next salary negotiation. Um, next week, Monica and I will be back for a chat just between the two of us on how working from home has been, how our mental health has shifted during quarantine and some tips for setting boundaries while working from home. Thanks everyone. Bye.